Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of a new day. Thank you for the the new opportunity that we have to be a renewed follower of you through your Holy Spirit. God, that's why we're here. We gather on Sunday mornings to be reminded and recharged and encouraged. And God, we just uh, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done for us in Jesus that we could not do for ourselves. And God, we ask now as we uh, wrap up this series, uh, God, we just ask that you would open our, our eyes and ears, hearts and our minds, uh, that we would hear your word, what it is that you want for us to hear, what you want us to know, and who it is that you want us to believe. Because, you, God, you lovingly created each and every one of us for a purpose that you, that you brought us to earth for. And so, God, we just uh, open ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What in the world is going on with our world? Today's the last day of this series, and it has been an interesting one. I don't know how it has been for you on that side of it, but for me, it has been a most interesting series. Uh, but we're going to make a turn today. We're going to make a turn that all of us should be willing to make as followers of Jesus. But it's kind of the, the point that a lot of times we stop short. It's so much more fun to look at the world and the problems of the world. It's so much more fun to get frustrated with, with a politician or a president. It's, it feels better to get angry at gas at 419 a gallon and sick something in California. And if you are a poor long haul over the road trucker, I can't imagine what it must feel like to have to go to the gas pump and fill up gas knowing that we all rely on you to get the stuff that we count on every day to us. It's a crazy world. But we're going to spend some time not looking at all of that this morning. We're going to look at ourselves because at the end of the day, our world got to where it is because of people. It got there because of us. Those politicians, somebody elected them. We've got the responsibility as Americans to do that. So we can't entirely blame them. The stuff that's going on in our world, that's going on in our schools, we've got to look at ourselves and we've got to ask, how can we be a voice? How can we live a life in the midst of this world, the the craziness and the chaos? How can we live a life and be a voice for the gospel? And so often Christians stop short of doing that. We're great at complaining, but we're not always real good about preaching the gospel in a world that's dying because they don't know it. It's way more fun to agree on problems. It's way more fun to point our fingers. But that is not a Christian approach. It's not a helpful approach. We cannot change the culture around us by giving into or becoming the culture around us. What we talk about around here a lot is part of the reason that God called us into existence is that we want to be a part of changing the culture in this area for the gospel of Jesus, for the good news of Jesus. And so a little thing after last week, I can't tell you how many people showed up and after last Sunday or called or texted or stopped me during the week and said, we've canceled our Disney package on cable. I say, good for you, because you know what? That's using your voice. It's using what really matters in this country to an awful lot of people. It's using your hard-earned dollars. To make a statement. But as we do this, there's three things as we look at what we can do. There's three things we talked about that we've got to make sure we always come from this perspective. We need to, number one, make sure that we treat Scripture with the authority that Jesus treated Scripture. We can't take and read what we want it to say. We've got to accept it for what it is and what it says. Second thing is we have to make sure that we work to love people the way that Jesus loved people. Jesus didn't embarrass people. He didn't point his finger at people. He, he, he never told someone they were going to hell. Jesus loved people and showed them the way to heaven. 
And then we need to make sure that we work to be in godly relationships with people the way that Jesus always sought to be in godly relationships with the people of his day. <clears throat> and if we start from that perspective, and if we're willing to go out and make a difference, we can actually make a difference in this world. And it matters because what's at stake, and you know this very well, is the truth. The truth is at stake. I'm going to add as a Christian, it's the absolute truth of God, the, the absolute, unchanging, eternal truth of God as revealed to us in his world. That is what is at stake. The truth of the life and the death and the resurrection of God's only son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, if you're a Christian. However, today the truth is at risk more than it's ever been in the history of our world and this country. Have you heard? A guy came out and started talking about this recently. Uh, President Biden has started, and I want to get this right, a disinformation governance board. Did you hear about that? A disinf- You heard that correctly. Uh, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, Secretary Mayorkas has made reference in a um, press conference to a disinformation governance board. And it said the board is, is essentially there to decide and to make sure that what is released to the public through the media and through the Internet is true. So people jump on and they start calling it the Ministry of Truth. And really the purpose is to prevent hearing Americans from hearing information that this federal board deems to be misinformation. Truth is at stake. And I don't think it really matters who's in the White House. I think this is what our country has come to. It's what it seems to me. So not surprisingly, this board came under some fire from the other side. And it's been temporarily put on hold so they can do a better job of explaining what they really want to do. So I'm hearing about this and I'm reading it. And because I'm going to talk about it this morning, I'm trying to find out everything that I can about it. And I realize when we hear about this stuff being talked about in other countries, we call it propaganda. And I realize truth is what is at stake. Any version of truth that that disagrees with whoever is in charge anywhere is deemed to be too dangerous. And the fact of the matter is that the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, and the Bible is dangerous stuff because it speaks out against an awful lot of the structures and the institutions of our world. I think about it and I think, where have we heard about this stuff before? North Korea. China, other countries where this kind of thing happens, and we think, how can those people not know what's going on in the world? Well, because they only get a certain amount of information. And so then if we've got information that's actually foundational truth, we have got to be more willing to share that with the world because the world is hearing a very, very different truth. Facebook tried this with their fact checkers through the last election cycle. How'd you feel about that one? Anybody get their account canceled or get stuff eliminated from Facebook? It's kind of bright. Yeah, a whole bunch of hands going up. That was a dry run. You, you think that was, was just a, a once and, and over it kind of thing? No way. That was basically the practice round. And I'm sorry if this stuff isn't fun and and it's hard to listen to. I realize that. But what I said last week, one of my primary responsibilities here is to prepare you to meet Jesus face to face. And, And that's going to be a serious, serious day. That's going to be called Judgment Day. And the reality is an awful lot of the stuff that we hear, and if we don't stop and think about it, and if we don't process it through Scripture, then it just becomes a part of what we believe. And what we believe, if we go with a lot of the world today, is polar opposite of what Jesus would have us believe. So I say my job is to help you get ready to meet Jesus face to face. To help you see the world through the lens of Scripture, not divorced from the lens of Scripture. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because that's a very personal question, but it's one I happen to care very deeply about. 
Without raising your hands, answer in your mind, how many of you are ready to meet Jesus face to face right now today? How many of you believe that what you know, what you understand and trust about Scripture, who, knew, who you know yourself to be in light of who you know God to be, how many of you are ready to meet Jesus face to face right now today? If you're not, there's two lights on in the corner. Those people would love to talk to you and change your answer. They'd love to help you be ready to meet Jesus today because at the end of the day, that's what matters. When we talk about changing the culture, it's because there's a lot of people out there who don't understand, who don't realize, who don't believe because they've never been shared the truth that one day they'll meet Jesus. And if we're not ready ourselves, how in the world are we going to help prepare a culture to be ready? So if you want to be filled with relevant and meaningful truth, if you want to, if you want to understand what's fact, if you want to know who you are in light of what the world is, this is the book that you need to get to know better. It's a bestseller. Every year, it doesn't even make the bestseller list because it's so far and away the bestseller in this country. Every single year, your Bible. Read it. Know it. Understand it. Digest it. That's why all of our messages come straight out of the Bible. Because the only way that we can counter the truth of this world is with God's Word. So for the last few weeks, I've been meeting on Wednesday night with a few dozen people. We've been talking about spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are these incredible things that God gives us through the Holy Spirit when we become believers. And the reason that we get these spiritual gifts isn't to make us better people. It's so that we can do our part in helping the church to be what God created the church to be. So if you don't know about spiritual gifts and you want to read about them, there's a few places in the New Testament. Uh, the best one to start with is in 1 Corinthians 12. Start there. Read about that. It's the most comprehensive list in the, in the New Testament of the Bible. Spiritual gifts are what God gives us as believers to help build the local church to the fullness of what God's created it to be. Spiritual gifts help us to understand God and who God created us to be. Help us understand how to love and to serve and to build up God's church for God's people. So that's what this group of people and I have been working on. And it's interesting, if you read chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, if you go on, because I've got it open here, spiritual gifts is, is chapter 12, and then it says one body with many members, and then Chapter 13 is the way of love. God created his church to be a place of Christian love, of godly love. The very next chapter is about love. As soon as Paul finishes teaching on spiritual gifts, he teaches about love. We are to use our spiritual gifts to help people understand and to know and to love Jesus. We're to be the love of Jesus around the world. As Christians, we should be known for our love. Some of you grew up in, in camp days singing that. They'll know we are Christians by our love. If you really want to turn the world upside down, love people in a way that they don't expect, in a godly way that they don't expect. See, all too often the world tells us as Christians, and this is getting louder and louder, Christians are judgmental, Christians are manipulative, you're angry, you're gossip-talking, you're hypocritical. And so often, that's true of who we are, but that's not what the Bible calls us to be. And when we do those things, all we do is perpetuate the problems that we see in the world and get so frustrated with. There's nothing in the Bible, there's nothing in the life of Jesus that even kind of tells us that those are good or desirable traits in a believer. In fact, the Bible tells us opposite that. But then when we get towards the end of chapter 13, Paul ends with these words. Chapter 13, 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is, as Christians, we are to be known for our love. Our love comes from the faith that we have in Jesus, 
the hope that we have for eternal life and the love that we receive from God and that we share with others. The difference that we can make in the world is to love the people in the world in the world in a way that they don't expect. Combat anger with love. Combat, combat hostility with love. When they come at you with cries of all kinds of stuff, come at them with love. And so if it's faith, hope, and love, faith in who? Faith in Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Not faith in our religion. We talked about that last week. Not faith in our politics or our politicians. Not in our flag or our patriotism or our military or our abilities, but faith in Jesus alone. That's the one thing that the Bible gives us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 cautions. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. You want to know how to live as a Christian? This book will tell you. You want to know the life to avoid? This book will tell you. You want to know how to make a difference for the good of the people around you? This book will tell you. When it comes to this life, our judgment isn't always right, but God is always right. And so if we stick to this book, we're going to do a whole lot better of navigating this chaotic world. Faith isn't always easy. It isn't always easy at all. Sometimes it feels like our doubt will eclipse our faith, and then we feel like we're letting God down. And we feel like, what's the point? We might as well not even try. But you know what? Not even your doubt, nothing in this world will overcome what Jesus has done for you. The love of Jesus even conquers our doubt. And so faith grows as we work on our faith. The Bible says, Philippians 2.12, we should work out our, faith, our salvation with fear and trembling. It takes effort. To be people of faith, we have to work on it. We have to be intentional. And the things that we're intentional about, we find that we succeed at. And so many people say, I want, to be, I want a deeper faith. I want to be closer to God. I want to be more involved in my church. What are you doing about it? Nothing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How do we do that? We do it by actively engaging in things like life groups and giving our time to lead our young people on Wednesday nights by joining a men's and a women's Bible study, by, by in, in putting ourselves into God's Word, having meaningful God conversations, not gossip conversations, with friends and families and co-workers. And when we do those things, we find that our faith is encouraged and it grows. Faith, hope, and love. Hope, what about that? Hope for this life and all eternity. Where? In Jesus. Not in your better effort. Not in you deciding to do a self-help program. Not in reading a good book. Faith for this life and all eternity in Jesus where we grow in hope together with our church family. It's really hard to have hope if you're separated from God and from your church family. Because the world is not a place where we find a lot of hope. Isaiah 40:31 says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. If you think about it, it's your church family that surrounds you when you're hurting. It's your church family that comes to your aid when you're in a pinch, whether it's financially or with work or with family. It's our church family that reminds us of the enduring and the eternal truth of Jesus' love for us when the weight and the pressure and the challenges of this world feel like they're going to drown and overtake us. That's when we can rely on our church family. Because as much as you might feel overwhelmed by life, God has somebody waiting for you in church if you are willing to, to show up and open up to them that they're going to lift you up and that they're going to help show you the light of Jesus. That's what the church family does. That's what spiritual gifts do. Hope can be difficult to hold on to. And it's not always easy to find, especially when we don't have a church family. And yet in church, we're reminded that our hope is not just for the moment, not just for the situation. It's eternal. 
Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're all wondering about end times. That's the day drawing near. As Christians joined in a church family, we get to meet together. We've got the opportunity and the privilege of meeting together as family. To worship, to encourage, to pray, and to strengthen each other. Hope grows when we've got people around us that are looking for hope from the same place. And the third is love. Some of us learned long before you could even read. Some of you learned a Bible verse. It was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so what? Love isn't a human idea. We didn't come up with it. Love wasn't something that somebody along the way said, you know what, my feelings are a little stronger for this person. I think I feel love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son real love, real love, like the love that we received from God through Jesus. Love for all people begins with spouses, children, rest of our family. When we begin to realize that God loved us even though we're the mess that we are, God still loves us. We then have the capacity and the grace and the mercy to love other people even in their mess. So we talk about love Jesus, love people, teach people to love Jesus. All three of those phrases have the word love. Why? Because it is foundationally important in Scripture. What do we have with all the chaos and the craziness in the world? The one thing no one can stop you from doing is loving people like Jesus does. We can always do that. So Jesus says the three of these will remain. Faith, hope, and love. And that's what we've got to show the world. How do we address the craziness that's going on in our world with the love of God? We can show the one truth that will never change. That's the truth that's in Scripture. And we are made complete only when we're in a personal relationship with God's only Son, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior. The reason that we look for fulfillment in all these other things is because we're trying to fill that space in us that was designed for a relationship with Jesus, with other stuff. So how do we show the, uh, God's truth through love? It's when we fight for our children's hearts and minds. When we fight in love for what's happening in the world is exposing them to. When we stand up for them in love. When we show our children that, that we'll fight for marriages and families and friends and churches. When we stand tall for churches and for the truth of God when the world is trying to silence us. How about when we stand for the truth of God and the absolute truth of God's word in the midst of a world that is doing its very best, best to force us into submission into accepting all the immorality that they're trying to normalize, because that's what's happening. When we talked about Disney last week, some of you had no idea what's going on. Disney is pushing the envelope all the way to their side of the scale. And so what's happening is that we're trying to be forced into submission and being afraid of talking about what we believe, talking about our truth. We live in a world where people have willingly given themselves over to the darkness. So many people have chosen darkness because of our selfish desires over the light and the good news of Jesus. In John 1.5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Other versions of the Bible say the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't understood it. I was reading in a book by Thomas Merton recently, Seeds of Contemplation, and Thomas Merton was talking about what does that mean when the light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't understand it. What it means is that we as humans in our world, we're the darkness. We're the darkness that God shines into. You don't have to be told that. You know it. You experience it every day. You see it around you all the time. Your kids come home from school and tell you about it. 
But the darkness doesn't understand the light. And he says every time that we try to explain God in human terms, what we do is we really just explain God as a little bit better version of us because we so completely don't understand him. And what happens is we make God less than God is. And so what happens is our faith begins to struggle. We use words that we understand to try to understand and speak about a God who's beyond our comprehension and understanding. And then when we, when we do try to use our words to explain God to people, what we really end up with is what amounts to being a superhero. But God is so far beyond just being a superhero. Matthew 22 says, we're to love him with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds. And if we direct all of our love, there's that word again. If we direct all of who we are to loving God, we may never understand him on this side of heaven. But we're going to begin to glimpse the greatness of his love for us. Because the more that we pour ourselves into a relationship with him, the more he pours himself into us. Unfortunately, our world is in trouble because we try to dismiss and ignore and eliminate the very God who created us. And we look for fulfillment in things that just leave us empty. Maybe you've tried that in a career. Maybe you've looked for fulfillment in the bottom of a bottle. Maybe you've tried drugs. Maybe it was a new house. Maybe it was a great vacation. Maybe it was, it was the perfect relationship. At the end of the day, all of those things leave us feeling empty. All those things are ultimately going to disappoint us. I, I heard someone speak at a lecture, um, read about someone who spoke at a lecture at Stanford on education. And the idea was that education is what we need to fill us. It, it was uh, First Lady Jill Biden. She shared her version of truth. She's an educator. She said, and I quote, Education teaches us compassion and kindness. Connection to others. Education doesn't, make us, doesn't just make us smarter. It makes us whole. Now, I'm pretty sure I'm not smarter than the First Lady. But I absolutely and totally disagree with her. Education might make us smarter, but it doesn't make us whole. The, the, the bit of you that was created to be filled with the relationship with Jesus is not filled because you got smarter. In fact, it's the, it's the educated elites in our world that have gotten us into this compassionless and kindness, kindless world we're living in. It's the polar opposite of what she says. Education might make some people more compassionate, might make them a little bit kinder, but, but education also takes other people and makes it completely out of touch with reality. Education might make us smarter, but it certainly doesn't make us whole any more than enough money in the bank or the right relationship does. Education and the institutions of higher learning are extremely active in creating this culture that we live in today that has nothing to do with the principles and the ideals that America was founded on. What are we so frustrated with? You've probably said, where did America go? Where did the America I grew up in go? So much of that happens in education. And so instead of making the country a better place, education is being leveraged by a, as a tool by influential people, to destroy our foundation, and that includes our foundation in God. Education doesn't make us whole. A personal relationship with Jesus, God's only Son, who created us, makes us whole. So what can we do? What's an action step? How can we step out into the world and make a difference? How about we do one of the most important things that you and I can do, and we start to lift up in prayer and in personal encouragement the Christian men and women who are fighting for our kids in the name of Jesus as teachers, 
and paras and administrators and support employees in our public schools and colleges and universities who are being told they cannot talk about Jesus. How about we start lifting up and supporting them because they're on the front line of a battle that is being waged for our kids. That's why, as a church, we pour so much of our financial resources and personal resources and facility resources into our young people. Do you realize that four buildings of ours are filled on Wednesday night with young people? It's not because it's the right thing to do. It's because, as a church, it's the thing that we have to do. If we don't pour Jesus into them, if we don't show them the love of Jesus with the adults who volunteer their time, where are they going to learn it? Where are they going to hear about it? There's a war that's being waged for their young minds, just like there's a war being waged for their hearts and their souls and their attention. But hear me clearly. The enemy of God is waging the same war against you. The enemy of God is waging a war against your mind, your heart, your soul, and your attention. It's a war that he wages on the absolute truth of God. That battle is for your attention. What is it you spend your time looking at, watching, reading, your affection? Where is it that your heart goes? It's for your time. What do you do with your time, your spare time, and the time that you have to carve out to get the important things done? Your finances. Where do the best of your finances go? What causes do they support? And your faith. Because at the end of us, at the end of the day, all of us believe in something or someone. And the battle that's being waged is for our faith. There might not be a whole lot that you and I can do to change things on a global level. That's kind of what I've realized through these last few weeks. But we can do an awful lot by beginning to change the culture in this area in the name of Jesus and for the gospel. That we can do. Because that doesn't take a news station to follow us. It doesn't take a a magazine or newspaper article. It doesn't take a camera following you around. We can love Jesus and love people and teach people to love Jesus. And we can start in our own homes with our own spouses, our children, our co-workers, the people that we spend our free time with. Everything that you do sends a message about what you believe and what's important to you. Everybody is going to stand for something. Every single one of us is going to be remembered in some way when our life is over for something. It's going to be for the business you built, the family you raised, how you treated people what the world thought was important to you, the difference you made in their lives. And you get to choose what you're going to stand for and how you're going to be remembered. You get to use this life to do it. How about choosing to be remembered for how we lived our life for Jesus, for loving people, for following Him. A life lived for Jesus is a life that makes a difference for all eternity. Because a life lived for Jesus makes a difference to the people around you. It makes a statement about what is important and what matters to you. And despite what some media and people might want to say with all that's going on in our world, God is still at work and God continues to be what is right and true in our world. There's a million things that we can say is wrong. But the one thing that we need to all agree on is that God is right and true. God's Word is His message to us. God's Word is where we understand His character his personality, and our purpose in life. What's the one thing that we can take in the world that will actually make a difference? It's our faith, our hope for eternity, our love for Jesus and people. You want to know what you can do that can make a difference? Those are the things. Love Jesus, love people, teach people to love Jesus. Let's pray. God, there is so much going on in our world that's wrong. We could, we could go on for weeks with things that 
we see as being problems that we're frustrated with, that we'd love to see change. But at the end, God, what we have to do is stop and ask, who are we and what are we doing? What difference are we making individually, each and every one of us? Are we taking the opportunities that you present and are we looking to create opportunities to share our faith, to speak to our hope, and to be the love of Jesus to people around us? Because, God, there are people who have been absolutely overcome by the darkness and they don't even know it. But, God, if we are in their lives, if anybody in this room is in any one of those lives, and we all are, then we have the the opportunity and the responsibility as disciples of Jesus to share the truth that we know of you, to share the absolute, eternal, unchanging truth of who you are and how much you love us. God, help us to be brave in doing that. Help us to be bold. I pray that your Holy Spirit, the very same Holy Spirit, who gives us spiritual gifts, would give us all the desire, the willingness, the boldness to just say the simple things. Why do I go to church? Why does it matter? Why do I love Jesus? Those are the questions that people really want answers to. Those are the things that they don't understand. And God, you put us here to be those voices. You put us here so that our lives would make a difference. God, let us live to make a difference for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the thing. You know what? We really get one chance in this life to stand for something. And we're all going to we're all going to believe in something or someone and we're all going to stand for something. What better thing to stand for than the truth of God? And there's a world full of people that are dying, not even knowing what that is. And so as we end the end of school year, we're wrapping up things with our kids ministry here and we're kind of changing into a new chapter over the summer. I would just ask and encourage you, please pray for our adult leaders who are, who are helping out with those young people. Pray for everybody in the school system, uh, all of the teachers, whether they're believers or not, but especially play, pray for the, the men and women who are followers of Jesus, who are believers, who are doing their very best to bring what they believe and what they know about the truth of Jesus into the classrooms and into the schools as well as they can, even though they're being quieted. Uh, that's a whole group of people that needs our prayers.